This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. Welcome to RSCC. Can we do uh, something real quick? Can we get the fathers in the room a round of applause real quick? Thank you. Like Adam said, Father's Day is this day that uh, is mixed emotions, and I'm well aware of those emotions. I lost my dad at nine years old, so I didn't celebrate a Father's Day for a long time. And later in my life, I was, I was blessed with a, a wonderful stepdad who I call dad, dad now named Jay. And then for years, I wanted to be a father, wasn't a father, and this is my first Father's Day. So I get that emotional roller coaster. So I'm going to rock my girl dad shirt today. So I hope that's all right. Wear a t-shirt to church. No big deal. But hey, guys, today's my last day, and many of you know that, my last sermon, so I just want to start off by saying this, thank you. Thank you to RSCC, uh, from my family, from Whitney and Natalie and myself. My, my call, my, my promise in ministry, when, when I went to Bible college years ago now, when I told God, hey God, you can send me anywhere you want, preferably on the beach or some, next to some body of water. And he's like, hey dude, I got one better for you. How's the Ohio River and Rising Sun, Indiana? I was like, all right, let's do it. So eight and a half years ago, I I came here. I came here four weeks after I graduated college. Two weeks after my wedding, I had about $350 in my bank account. So I needed that first paycheck really bad. And we came here. And man, as I look back and I think about these times... You know, and just everything that God has done. And, you know, we moved to that house where Adam lives now, the parsonage. And we didn't even have enough stuff to fill it, right? I don't, like, I don't know what we're going to put in all these bedrooms. Like, I don't even have anything, right? I don't, I don't even have a kitchen table. Like, what are we going to do? And, you know, in this, ta- in this town is where I bought my first car. Like, I had a 2000, I had like a 1997 Lumina with two, 280,000 miles on it when I moved here, right? And I got to buy my first car. I got to buy my first house on, on Turner Road. You guys were with us as we struggled with that journey of were we going to be able to be parents or not. And we had years and years of trying to become parents and not being able to have a child. And you guys were with us when we celebrated the birth of our first child. In this town, in this community, I coached for seven long, sometimes very, very long seasons of basketball and soccer. And I coached many of your sons and, and, and daughters in soccer and maybe your grandkids. And those were awesome times. I came here at 22 years old as a, as a youth minister. And those two years of being in youth ministry, I'm going to tell you, those were the most fun years in ministry I've ever had. And we, we were able to explode from four kids in a little building over there called the shack to outgrowing the shack in just a couple of years. And God did some amazing things in that. And then I got to preach my first ever sermon as a lead minister at this church. And man, it was amazing. In the last six, six years, went back into the math, we've had over 200-something baptisms. That's amazing, 200-something baptisms. You know, we can clap for that, right? Clap for that. We've got to see a lot of new people come to church, and we've had awesome services. Man, we, um, we made some changes, and some of you love those changes, and uh, some of you don't, and you still let me know about it, right? But we've had some amazing, amazing times together, and it's like I, I literally feel like I, I grew up 
you know, on the on this stage and grew up preaching at this church and grew up with my, my passions of this church. And, and so as we decided, God made it clear it was on, on to the next season. It's a bittersweet thing. I cried beforehand, so I'm not going to cry right now, but I've had my, you know, choke up moments and the sad moments and the hard moments. And man, I just want you guys to know we, we love you so much and we're so thankful for you. And really all we can say is thank you, RSCC, uh, for being here for our family and loving us the last eight and a half years. And, and we're excited for that next chapter, but the, the bittersweetness is that we know we have to leave people in a church that we love. And, and I want to leave you with these words that have, has helped me in my life, and it's that God is faithful. And God has been faithful to me in my life far more than I deserve. He has blessed me in many ways that I don't deserve. And God's been faithful to me, and he will continue to be faithful to me in my family, in my ministry. But God is faithful, and he will continue to be faithful to RSCC. And my prayer is, I'm praying for you guys, and I'm praying for the next person who will be on this stage preaching. I know God knows who they are. My prayer is, they take RSCC to places I never could. But I just want you guys to know we love you, we appreciate you, and we will miss you, and we will be cheering on RSCC from afar. That's the great thing about social media. And we, we, we covet your prayers, we ask for your prayers, and we will pray for you. So I'm going to stop talking about emotions, though. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to get to service today. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful. I'm so thankful for, for these people, uh, the, the, the people we love, the family we love, God. And we thankful, we're thankful for RSCC family, God, and Rising Sun Church of Christ and Rising Sun Indiana, God. And these last eight years have been a great honor and a great joy. And Father, I, I thank you for the stories and the people that you've brought into my life that will last, uh, memories and stories that will last forever. God, I pray today as we have this simple presentation of the gospel that you just fill us in this room today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So what I'm going to do today is like I, I, I struggled all last couple months, like what, last month or so. What am I going to preach on my last Sunday? So I wanted to make it simple. I wanted to make it passionate. I wanted to talk about something I, I believe is important. So this is what I came up with. This is the message I would preach if I only had one message to preach. And I'll start it off with this. How many of you are Star Wars fans? Any Star Wars fans out there? Big time? Okay. So how many of you know a Star Wars fan, right? You know some. And so I'm not a Star Wars fan, but I've noticed something about Star Wars fans. And here it is. It's like being a Star Wars fan has to be you know, you got the Enneagram numbers. I think like Star Wars fan is one of the Enneagram numbers. It's like a personality trait. Like they, they're like, hey, my name is so-and-so and I'm from here and this is my job and here's my kids. And oh, by the way, I'm a Star Wars fan. Like they, they throw it in there. And then so you go to their house and you like, you look in their room and they got like this whole room full of action figures of like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Chewbacca. And they got that, uh, the, is it the Millennium Falcon like on the Legos and they, and they cosplay on it and they just love it. And if you've never seen those movies, they will let you know, like, hey, you need to see these movies. And when they say these movies, I believe they're talking about the OG, original three, right? Like the first three that came out in the 70s and 80s, I believe, maybe early 90s. I'm not even sure. And for years, I spent 29 years of my life without watching those movies. And then 2020 hit, and we were in lockdown. And there's nothing to do. And I have ADD. And I've like, watched everything I could on Netflix. And I'm like, what am I going to watch? So I decided to watch the Star Wars movies. I'm going to tell you, people. Sorry. 
It just didn't do it for me. I, I wasn't a big fan. Uh, they were a little too slow, right? I, I did like the first three, the original three I didn't like. The last three, the newest three, those are pretty good, right? So I'll, I'll be honest with that. But everybody's like, you got to watch them. They're the OG. They're the granddaddy of all movies. And it's like all action movies and all big stories are kind of branches off of Star Wars. Like Star Wars came up with this theme and idea. And then I'll give it to you. Even though I didn't like them, I can see a lot of the footprints in Star Wars and many other movies. Anybody ever heard of Harry Potter? Raise your hand. Harry Potter? Yes, it's Star Wars with wands, right? Same thing with wands, okay? And, and so it's the granddaddy of movies. Well, why am I talking about this? There's a verse in the Bible that I call the granddaddy of Bible verses. It's not the first Bible verse. It's not the longest Bible verse. It's the most well-known Bible verse and maybe the most transformational verse in all of Scripture. The verse that is translated in more languages, the verse that is more well-known, the only verse that you will see at football games, the verse that Tim Tebow wore across his face with eye black when he beat the Steelers and, and the, when he was playing the Bron when he was for the Broncos and when he was their quarterback. John 3.16, and I want to do something. I'm going to start reading. And I want to ask you, as I'm reading, you read with me. And let's try to be a little bit louder than the first service. They had a reason. It was early. Now it is not early. You should be awake by now. So let's read this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 16. How many of you, that was the first Bible verse you ever memorized? Most, many of us, right? This is what I call the granddaddy or the OG of all Bible verses. It is the first Bible verse as a junior high boy who never been to church when he sat down with his minister, who I still talk to every single day, not kidding, almost every single day, Tyson Graber. He presented the gospel to me with this Bible verse. And it's called, the, the, it's, they summarize it as the, the, the gospel in short or the miniature Bible. It's like if you need to know one Bible verse, this is all you need to know. Billy Graham talks about it in one of his books, his memoirs, talking about his life and how he grew up on a farm, you know, a long time ago. And he was, he was like 90-something when he passed away. So 90, you know, 100 years ago on a farm. And, and how his mom, on Saturdays, they would have to take a bath. And so she would drag out this big metal tub and she would put hot water in it. And he, and he told a story about you wanted, you, if you were the oldest, you got to take a warm bath and then the middle child would go in. And the youngest child, if you were the like, last person to take a bath, the water was like dirty and it was cold. But he, he says, I remember as I was taking those dirty baths that my mom would, would read to us or recite to us because we didn't have smartphones or, or TVs. She would recite to us. John 3.16, and he said that stuck with him, and he, would, uh, he learned to memorize his first verse. The, the great Billy Graham was John 3.16, and like, as parents, that's a great verse to start with, John 3.16, and it has sentimental meaning, but why I love this verse is because the whole Bible is built on this verse. Now, the world may tell you that the Bible is a list of rules. The Bible, the world may tell you it's repressive. The Bible may tell you that it's hate. Uh, the world may tell you that the Bible is, is hateful. The, 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 the world will tell you all these different things about the Bible that aren't true. The, the, the center theme of, of the Bible is this, God's redemptive plan for humanity. It's kind of summed up with creation, the, the fall, 
redemption, reconciliation, right? That, that's what the Bible summed up as. And so this verse talks to us about the gospel. So I want to read it again, because it is only 26 verses in the NIV, I think 25 in the King James Version, and it's all centered around this, this, this son. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. It's about the gospel. It's all about God's redemptive plan. It's all about how God saved the world, that God loved the world. The Bible is not a book of rules. It's about God loving us so much that he didn't leave us in death and rebellion, but he sent his only son to die for us. And when, what happens in America, in, in our country, in, in our churches, is we hear John 3.16, maybe the most well-known verse of your life, and we, we let it lose its impact. And they're like, well, how does this tell me the story of the gospel? And let me show you in four words how this tells you the story of the gospel. First, loved. It says, for God so loved the world. I love to do this. For God so loved you. God so loved Nathan. For God so loved the world. Everybody you see that he sent. So first, this is the idea that God loves us. God created us because he loved us. God wanted us to be in union, in relationship with him. That's why throughout the gospel and throughout the Bible, excuse me, you'll see covenants that God makes with like Abraham, that God made with the Israelites, a covenant that he's made with us with Jesus. A covenant is a relationship bonding kind of agreement. So love, God so loved the world. And then there's lost, but there was a problem. And, and when you read this verse, you shouldn't just read it as, oh, God loves me. You should also read it as like, hey, Houston, we got a problem. Something's going on. And in it, it says, for God so loved the world, right, that, that he gave his only son that, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That word perish means that something in our life is creating us to perish. Something in our life is creating us to be lost. And we know that as sin. So it talks about sin, that sin separates us from God. So there's love, but we're also lost, that there's something that created a wedge between God's love for us and us. And, and now our sin is getting in the way. And then the next word is liable. It says, for whoever so lo uh, God loved the world, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes, there's liable. God loves you. God is offering you new life. God is offering you Jesus. But you are liable to make the choice. You have to decide, do I believe in Jesus? Whoever believes in him shall not perish. You have to make that decision. Will I believe or will I not believe, right? We have to make that decision. And then the last word is light. God loved us so much that he didn't leave us in the darkness that would cause us to be lost and cause, cause us to perish. But he loved us enough that he sent Jesus who brought light into the darkness. And if you think about the Christmas story that we celebrate, the birth of Jesus, is when God was silent, the world was dark. Jesus is born in this darkness and he brings light. And there's talks about a star and talks about people coming and visiting him. He brings light to the world. And also at the same time, as believers of, the, of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to share that light. So John 3.16 can be summarized in four words. Loved, lost, liable, light. This is all you really need to know about the gospel. Loved, lost, liable, light. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. So when we look at Jesus and we look at his ministry and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us what Jesus did and how he lived, he went and he lived and he made sure people didn't miss who he was. Over and over again, he would make sure that he, people felt loved and would tell them that they were lost, that they were liable to make a decision and step in the light. And you can see these people who are living far from Jesus, they meet Jesus and boom, their life is changed. 
So Jesus in his ministry wanted to make sure people didn't miss this. And even on his last time with his disciples, even some of his last words recorded, he talks about this. So I, I was thinking this week, what am I going to talk about? And I was like, I wish there was somewhere in the Bible where someone was meeting with a group of people and, and they were about to, that person was about to leave and he was, this person that was about to leave gave a speech or something. And I'm like, hey, the Last Supper, John 13, 14, 15, and 16 talks about this. So let me set a scene for you. Jesus picks disciples. He goes up to these people who are living life like Peter and their, their fishermen or tax collectors and he says, follow me. Follow me and I will do something in your life you will never experience ever again. So they follow him. And everywhere Jesus went, with all the miracles, these disciples were there. They were following Jesus. They left everything to follow. They left their families. They lost, left their jobs. And Jesus gathered with them on the last night in John chapter 14. And this is what we call the Last Supper. And Jesus in this supper says, hey, one of you 12 are going to betray me. And Judas leaves. And then he starts talking that he, he's going to leave. And that he's got to go do some things. And that's what we pick up here. It says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus knew, hey, something is about to happen. That your hearts are going to be troubled. You're, you're going to feel certain ways after you see what's about to happen to me. He goes, you believe in God, but believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... What I have told you, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And then he says, line four, you know the way, that's an important word, the way to the place where I am going. Jesus tells his disciples that night, maybe this is the first time in their life that it hits in. He, he says, remember all those things I've told you that were going to come and that were going to happen about this new kingdom and the, the, this, this thing I was building, I have to go prepare that for you. I have to leave you now. I got to go to my father's house and prepare a way for you. Well, Jesus' disciples, this was blindsided. They're like, what, what are you talking about? You're going to leave us? Jesus, you promised us something better was coming. You said you were going to establish some new kingdom. Jesus, now you're leaving us. We're, we're, not, we're poorer than we, when we started. People don't like us. People are trying to, to arrest you and get you in trouble. And you're going to leave us? See, they, were, they, they missed what Jesus was saying. They thought Jesus was going to build this big, powerful kingdom. But, but Jesus like, hey, I am. It's just not on earth. And, and Jesus says, like, listen, I got to go. So they're freaking out. And then one of the disciples said this to, to Thomas. He, Thomas said, hey, Lord... Hey, listen, man, we don't know where you're going. So how, how, how can we know the way? Thomas is, what, Thomas is what I used to do in college. Like, listen, teacher, professor, I have no idea what in the world you're talking about. You ever been that in your faith? You read something in the Bible, you're like, hey, I have no idea what that means. Thomas is like, hey, Jesus, uh, I hate to break this to you now. We've been following you for like three, three and a half years we don't always understand what you're talking about. Like you tell some weird stories about seed falling on the ground and parables. And, and you, you say all these stories. And, and we act like we know what you're saying because we don't want you to get mad at us. But we don't really know what you're saying. So uh, right now we don't know where you're going. And so that we don't know where you're going, 
how can we know how to get there? And then Jesus probably eye rolled, right? A big eye roll. But this is what he says. Don't miss this. Jesus told them, I am the way. Everybody say way. way. The truth. Everybody say truth. truth. And the life. Everybody say life. life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Put this together. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you with the Father forever, for eternity. That's the kingdom that I am building you. But the only way you can get there is me. Jesus is saying, I am the only way to the Father. The only way. Thomas, you want to know how to get to the Father? Me. Following my commands. Doing what I have told you to do. I am the way to the Father. Now, there's been some big claims throughout history. For the last eight years, we have argued this argument, me and you guys, about who the greatest basketball player of all time is. I got I to set you straight one last time, one last Sunday. LeBron James from Akron, Ohio, greatest player to ever put on a pair of basketball shoes, right? And so we can debate that. Some of us said, hey, this movie is the greatest movie of all time. Or this band is the greatest band of all time, right? Many people say the Beatles. I, I would disagree with that, right? But we can argue about that. Dave Eisman thinks he's the best looking one in this room right now, okay? We can argue about that. There's a lot of things in life. We, we can argue about basketball. We can argue about music. We can debate who the best looking is and the most talented is. But Jesus is saying, be very, very clear. No matter what you hear, no matter what other people say, I'm the only way to the Father. And people are like, well, isn't that exclusive? No, it's not exclusive because everybody's invited for God to love the world. But Jesus made it so clear. I am the way to the Father. Don't miss it. Other people may claim to be, but I am the only one who did what I have done, he says. I'm the only one who can defeat death and raise three days later. I am the way to the Father. And that word way is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's this word hadas. And it means literally a road, a progress, the route, or a distance. Or you can say to take a journey. Jesus is saying the road to get to the Father is me. Put your life on a journey that follows my commands. Put your life on a journey that makes me Savior. Put your life in the progress of what I've told you to do. And the work I've come to and did for you, believe in that. And that route, that path will get you to the Father. And I, Jesus says, I'm the only way to get, you, get to the Father. So where am I going? I'm going to prepare a kingdom for you that someday you will see. Face to face, you'll see me again. And I will know your name and I will wipe away every tear from your eye. But the only way to get there, and it's for everybody, but it's through me. He's the fulfillment to God's redemptive plan for us. He's the fulfillment for everything God has promised us. He is the way. And I don't want you to miss that because the scriptures, like this is not, people are like, it's so exclusive. It's not, listen, throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament, there are verses all throughout it to make sure you understand this. Here's a couple. Salvation in Acts 4, it says, salvation is found in no one else. No, no one else except Jesus. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
Paul writes it in a letter to Timothy, for there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. It's like, don't miss this. The work that Jesus did on the cross, the life that he lived for you and me, the sinless life, the man who lived a sinless life took the, the penalty of sin, death on the cross, is saying, hey, listen, I did it so you can get to the Father. So on that last night, when he's with his disciples, he's like, don't miss this. And Jesus knows what's about to happen to him. He knows he's about to be arrested in front of them. He knows he's about to be beaten. He knows he's about to be publicly crucified. And he knows the disciples, the men he handpicked, one of them would betray him and hand him over, but the rest of them would desert him. Peter, the strongest, the fiercest disciple, will deny him three times. Jesus knew that trouble was ahead for them. So I believe he tells them these words, I am the truth, the way, and the life. Because he's reminding them, keep following me. Keep following Jesus. That's what I want to leave you with. Keep following Jesus. And what do I mean by that? Following Jesus means this. You're with Jesus. Right, so you, you make him the Lord of your life. You read scripture. You, you're part of his community. You pray. You imitate Jesus. You love the way Jesus did, loved and act the way Jesus did. And you do what Jesus did. And when you do that, you're not just following. You become a disciple. And as you look, out, as you look through Jesus' ministry, many people claimed to follow, but very few became disciples. People followed Jesus. When they met Jesus on the street or met, met him on the path, they wanted to see him. They wanted to be around him. Well, thousands of people followed him. Why do you think he had to feed thousands of people with just a couple of fish and some bread? Because more people followed him than the disciples actually anticipated. They wanted to be around him because he did things that no one else could do. But very few of them became disciples. So one time, all these crowds are following Jesus. So Jesus gets this, and he's like, hey, listen, you're following me, but here's what it means. And he raises the standard, and he basically says, hey, if you're willing to follow me, you have to love me above all else. I have to be the savior of your life. And he raises this standard. And as soon as he raises it, it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, many of them deserted Jesus and followed no more. The thousands of people left Jesus that day. And they missed out on who Jesus was and what he came to do for them because they never truly followed. They knew him, but it's not just enough to know him. You have to believe in him. So now we're at this point in this conversation where what do we do with this? Well, I just told you who Jesus was, what Jesus has done. And so when you hear that news, there's a response that has to be taken. And the same thing with when Jesus walked to earth. When Jesus had an encounter with someone, they seldom reacted with neutral opinions or action. You have to respond to this. So here's how the three responses go. You hear it, and you accept it. You hear it, and you're like, eh, sounds like a bunch of garbage, right? Or you say, hey, no way I'm believing that. I reject it. Reject it, eh, accept it. That's what you have to do. And, and so when Jesus was with his disciples, he, was t he would talk about this. In one particular time, again, there's a bunch of people following Jesus, and he secludes his disciples, and he has this encounter in Mark 8, and he's like, I, I want to make sure you guys understand what you're doing, what you're following. And so he says this to them in Mark 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea and Philippi. And on the way, so as he has them isolated, he says, who do people say that I am? And they respond, well, some of them say you're 
John the Baptist. Some of them say you're a good teacher. Some of them say you're Elijah. Some say you're, you know, evil man. Jesus like, who do they say I am? And then he, he flips it in verse 29. He's like, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? You, you 12, who do you say I am? And I wish the Bible, this is where I wish the Bible would tell you how much time went in, in between. Because like, I, I just picture myself like in college or high school when the, the teacher would say, hey, you know, anybody have the answer to this? I would just look down at my feet because I didn't have the answer. So I imagine these disciples are just looking down at their feet, kicking d dirt. And finally, Peter responds and he says, listen, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the one, Jesus. You're the one that God has promised us. You're the anointed one. You're the one that the 66 books in the Old Testament point to. You are that one. You're the one of whom the prophets promised. You're God's answer to save us. Who do you say I am? There's a lot of important questions you will answer in your life, from your date of birth to your death, where you'll live one day, who you'll, who you'll marry one day, what college you go to if you, after you graduate, or what job you'll take, what major you'll study, what, you know, what, what house you'll buy. I answered this important question uh, when the minister asked me, Tyson, he's like, hey, do you take Whitney to be your wife? I said yes as fast as I can, so she was locked in, right? Like, I'm like, hey, I'm not getting out of this. We're, we're stuck now. But the most important question any of us will ever answer in our life is this. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a good teacher? Is he just a, a religious figure that Christians made up to control people? You, you hear that. Is he someone who has really good moral standards, but that's about it? Or is he the Messiah? Is he the only way to the Father? Is he the Savior of your life? Is he the one that brought you out of death in darkness and into the light. Why I love John 3.16 so much, it's a fundamental belief of what I believe. That Christianity and the relationship with Jesus is for everybody. Because God could have said, for God so loved, the Bible could have said, for God so loved the chosen. God so loved the elect. But it says, for God so loved the world. It's for everybody. And the promise is this, that Paul writes in Romans. It, it says this, if you declare with your mouth, this is how you get saved right here, right? There's an act of, of obedience, of being baptized, and, and all that after. But this is the process you get saved. You want Jesus to be in your life? You want to accept it? This is how you start. You declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. If you believe that in your life, in your heart, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Justified means be declared right, be declared righteous. And we're only justified, we're only made right in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. So it's like you're justified because you're inheriting what Jesus did. That's part of believing. He's your Lord. He died in your place and he did something you couldn't do. And he was justified before God. God saw him and was well pleased. And therefore, when you believe that Jesus did that for you in your place, 
you inherit, you inherit his being justified like he was. And it is with your mouth that you profess with your, fa your faith and are saved. Who do you say Jesus is? Maybe for the first time today, you need to de declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we would love to have a conversation with you in the back of this room. My favorite conversations in the world to have. For the rest of us, maybe you know this. Maybe you're like, hey, why is he even talking about this? The early church of Jesus was not called the, the church. They were not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. And I like that. I think we need to be called followers of the way. And we need to be missionaries. And we need to be people who go out in our towns and our families and our life and say, hey, I'm a follower of the way. And here's the way you will be saved. Who do you say Jesus is? It's the most important question you'll ever answer in your life. I want to end with one more phrase. One more slide. Six and a half years ago when, when, I, when I became lead minister, I said, what is one thing I want people to leave when they leave knowing me, knowing RSCC? And real simple, this is what I came up with. Hashtag you matter. You see it everywhere. And I just want to say this. I may have not always shown it the way I intended. I may not have always acted like it. But you guys have mattered to my family and me, myself, last six and a half years more than you'll ever know. But that's not what you matter means. You matter is talking about John 3.16. That God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You matter to God. And his son dying on the cross and raising three days later proved it. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? And if you need to know who God is, look at John 3, 16. And remember, you matter. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for getting to do this right now, what we just did, Father. And I, we're so thankful for Jesus. God, and I pray today, maybe for the first time, someone gives their life to Jesus. And just says, you are the way, the truth, and the life. God, I, I want to thank you for the last eight years, the last six and a half years of getting to walk up on this stage and walking up the steps and being on the stage in front of this church that I love so much. God, I, I did that because a long time ago I found the love you had for me. God, I pray we be con continue to be a church that shows that love to other people. It's in your great, precious name we pray. Amen. Please it's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app. Or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.